First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. And we welcome persons of all religions, ethnic and racial origins, sexual orientations, abilities, and other circumstances. We extend a special welcome to our visitors this morning. We are so glad you're here. My name is Erin Walter. I'm a member of this church. My family's been coming to this church since 1979, and I'm a seminary student. I consider it a great honor to be here today with you. A quote to get things started from a blog called Beauty Tips for Ministers. No matter what's going on in your individual community or congregation this week, it can't possibly be as spiritually enormous as the conflagration that's burning outside all our windows. Come to the window. See. Witness. Please join me in lighting the chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Hi, I'm Becky Harding. I'm your lay leader this morning. Our first reading, our call to worship, is an excerpt from a passage called Freedom from Fear by Reverend Forrest Church. One indication of how prevalent a role fear plays in our lives is that there are almost as many synonyms for it as there are unlude words for snow. I'll wait. Time. Terror, horror, apprehension, trepidation, foreboding, concern, angst, agitation, anxiety, consternation. Dread, fright, worry, cowardice, faint-heartedness, chicken-heartedness, disquiet, guilt, temerity, disarray, and alarm. Any fear that reoccurs or malingers is more likely to pose a danger than protect us from one. One person can spend a year worrying whether he has cancer before going to the doctor to find out that he doesn't. Or if he does, it is now too late to do anything about it. Another person can worry so much about the telltale signs of aging that she fails to enjoy her youth. When fear misdirects us down a long, unnecessary detour is detracting from our journey without making it any safer, the time has come to pull over and ask for direction. We come from so many different backgrounds. We seek the meaning of life in many different ways. There are no requirements of belief to be here. We do share this mission, and we say it together every Sunday. Please join me. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Reading number two, again, is a change in our order of service to reflect some of the current events of this week. It's called, I don't know how to talk to white people about Ferguson, 
by Allie Barthwell, and it was published two days ago in an online magazine, XO Jane. I don't know how to talk to white people about Ferguson. As a black woman in a mostly white circle, I don't know how to talk to black people about Ferguson. I don't know who to turn to and how to talk to them. I feel very vulnerable. I feel really scared. I've noticed that white people often misinterpret my emotions about race when I express them. I've noticed that my white friends don't always understand when their words come from a place of privilege. They might be a bit tone deaf considering the state of the world. The Monday following Mike Brown's death, I had an improv rehearsal with a team of women I regularly practice and perform with. I am the only black woman on the team. Part of our improv form is telling personal stories. One woman took center stage to tell us a story of how she was wronged by the police and can't trust them anymore. She was given a small ticket for riding her bicycle on the sidewalk. She didn't feel she deserved it and was chastised by the police for not remembering the license plate of the car that hit her. Her story was over. That was it. That's why she couldn't trust the police. It's hard to bring up the incredible terror I feel when I am stopped by the police or when the white-hot shame and violation I felt as an eight-year-old when a security guard grabbed my arm when I snuck a gummy bear from the bulk candy bin or that I began to cry so hard at the George Zimmerman acquittal that I had to leave work early. It is hard to bring these feelings up with my white friends as black people march in Ferguson against a white police force because I'm scared I'll be let down again. I was let down by my white boyfriend who wouldn't tell off his roommate when his roommate told me I was just an angry, uneducated black woman. And I was let down by the online alumni community when I was accused of censoring white people because I said it was uncool to treat black men and women as lustful, and that's why everyone should date one at least once. I'm so afraid that I'll be let down by white people when I speak up about how I see myself in the faces of the black people on the news in Ferguson, Missouri, that I would rather suffer in silence. Because I don't know how to tell black people that I would rather be let down by white society than to be let down by white individuals. How do I begin that dialogue? Please join me in the spirit of prayer, meditation, and reflection. Knowing that the sound of babies and children will qualify as silence too. And when you hear the little bell sound, you may join us in lighting a candle. Spirit of life and love. Divinity in us all. We pray for concrete, real things today. We pray for those who've lost a loved one this week, whose illness has returned. We pray for the residents of the Austin State Supported Living Center, many of whom were devastated to learn that their home is being downsized. We pray for those struggling from the illness of depression. We pray for everyone in Ferguson, Missouri, residents, protesters, police, peacekeepers. We pray for all who are suffering around the world. 
We also give great thanks for the beauty of the earth, for the blessing of new life, babies born in our families this week or announced to be on the way. We give thanks for new jobs, new friends, new love, as well as the old ones that have long sustained us. We seek the strength to be brave, to come to the window and see, to open the window, be lights in the world, be the change we want to see. Amen and blessed be. Um, I just want to draw your attention to something real quick. Um, Your reward for sitting through my very first sermon, which you're about to do, is ice cream. Has everyone seen that? So you're in luck. Um, It is my first sermon. I'm a new seminary student, but I can report that I am a pro at fear. I'm a classic white-knuckle flyer, and I didn't learn to ride a bike until my 19th birthday because I was afraid to fall over. I've been afraid to exit the ski lift, to get bangs, and just generally to go backwards. Back dive, backwards roll, backing into a parking space. No, thank you. I've also always been a little fascinated by fear. As a kid, I tore out an article from a women's magazine that had a list of unusual fears that people had. And I put it on my bulletin board, and I'd wake up some days, and there it would be fear of sitting down, fear of antique furniture. Years later, I read that Billy Bob Thornton really does have that. Fear of string. So I say this as we get started. Whatever your fears are, you're not alone. Everyone is afraid, or as Forrest Church described on his list, chicken-hearted, about something. Some fears are more pressing than others, though, and we're going to get to that. Recently, I've faced off with some of my deepest fears and anxieties, either by accident, by choice, or through loss. And in doing so, I've seen how fear can answer some of the most important questions for us. What do I want most in life? What is my purpose here? And if we peek out from behind our fears, like Grover, we may find just our lovable furry old selves over there. And I want us to think about ways that we can turn those pages together. Since fear is a very big topic, I'm going to start very, very small. I'm going to start with grapes. All my life, I ate green grapes. Wouldn't be caught dead near red ones. I was a green grape person, like a Beatles person instead of a Stones person. And then about 10 years ago, I was in an airplane, keeping it in the air with the power of my mind. Does anybody else do that? The Dalai Lama does it. I read it. When the meal came, I offered the stranger next to me my red grapes. You don't want them, he said. No, I only eat the green ones, I said, as if this were a sane thing. Why, they taste the same, he said. What? I said, yeah, they're all the same. Why didn't anybody tell me? So I paused for the first time and asked myself what I had against red grapes. And the answer was, I had no idea. Zero. Maybe my mom had more access to green grapes during the grape boycotts of the 80s. I I don't know. But that's what I was used to. And what I was used to 
evolved into, oh no, I hate that. Ew, gross. Get that away from me. And that is a lot like how more dangerous fears work too. The unknown becomes the feared and very ugly habits develop. So I looked at my airplane grapes. I looked at them, really, and I got one and I put it in my mouth. And yeah, it tastes the same. You guys probably already know that, but it was a huge shock to me. They taste the same. So just to let you know, um, by this time in our lives, though, by adulthood, how often do we have these totally new experiences of the senses? It's a spiritual experience. It's a gift. So this one question, this one stranger, this one grape really changed my life. If I was wrong about grapes, what else had I been wrong about all these years? I started to try new things, things I had been afraid of one at a time. Avocados. Creme brulee. Writing a song. Something in Nicaragua called the monster swing. I got bangs. So suddenly I was just really into it, really into trying these new things. And maybe some of you were born that way, but I was not. I got to live out my UU values by joining a community-supported agriculture organization with members of my church. That meant that I got a box of local vegetables to my house every Friday, some of which I had never seen before, never tasted before. It was very exciting. And I found myself part of the ethical eating movement in my own small way. We have a lot of bigger fears to talk about today than food, but I want you to know something. Wherever you're starting from, it's okay to start small. When you run up against a case of your own fear, I have some questions you can use. Why do I think this? How did I get here? Do I really have to say no to this? Do I? What would happen if I said yes? What would happen if I did something differently? These are very UU questions. And this church is a great place to tackle some of our common but debilitating fears. Fear of intimacy, fear of asking for help, fear of change. From saying hi in coffee hour to a stranger, seeking out the care team when you really have something weighing on your heart, getting involved with the capital campaign, we have ways for you to conquer some of those interpersonal fears. And with Standing on the Side of Love, which is our national and international campaign, we are committed to getting our nation past its fear of marriage equality, its fear of immigration reform, and much more. So on behalf of the contrarians here, and I know who some of you are, I'm going to pose another question. What is so wrong with being afraid? I hear you thinking it. Nothing. Nothing in some cases. I'm scared of my kids running into traffic, falling out a window, and that makes me a more diligent parent. But there's research out there. Research from Stanford that shows that prolonged worry and anxiety can lead to memory loss and brain damage, can raise blood pressure and stress levels, and shorten your life expectancy. So basically, and this is really important, fear causes something that many of us fear the most. Death. For the longest time, my greatest fear was dying. I just didn't want to do it. I don't want my family members going that route either. I don't want you. I don't want anyone going that route. But 
what are we going to do? There's a scene in the mystery comedy Clue. Has anybody seen Clue? Um, where Professor Plum asks, what are you afraid of? A fate worse than death? And Mrs. Peacock responds, no, just death. Isn't that enough? And that was how I felt for so long. Um, my father died 11 years ago. That was the thing I had been afraid of all my life. And then it just happened. He had a heart attack. He was in seemingly perfect health. And then there he was in a coma for five days. And then gone. 55. Friend after friend stood up at my dad's funeral and said, David Walter was supposed to give my eulogy. My world ended just like I had long feared it would. It'll be 11 years this month. But you learn something huge when you face your worst fear, the kind of fear that makes red grapes seem like grapes. You learn that you can live through it, that life goes on, it can still be good. And so for the many of you who may share that fear of death, I do want to give you some very important good news. That in the end, the moment of my father's passing, however unexpected, was actually peaceful and beautiful. And he's not gone. He's here. Always with me. If you take anything today, please know love is so much stronger than fear. Okay. I've said some fears are more pressing than others. So now I want to talk to you about the role that fear is playing in current events and what you can do about it. Take a breath. Let's get ready. (laughs) Here's the sad fact. Not all deaths are peaceful or beautiful like my father's. And for many people here and abroad, my father's short life of 55 years would be very long indeed. I always come back to this quote from poet Robert Bly. Wherever the wound appears in our psyche, that is precisely the place from which we will give our major gift to the community. Please think about that with me. Wherever the wound appears in our psyche, That is precisely the place from which we will give our major gift to the community. So I ask you, do you feel wounded this week? I do. Deeply, deeply wounded. And how can we make a gift of this? I think about Robin Williams' suicide and the need to better treat depression and mental illness. I think about refugee children coming across our borders desperate for help. Mass incarceration, conflicts abroad, discrimination and abuse of transgender men, women, and children. The needs of each community around the country. The roots of these problems are deep and tangled. And I tell you what, my greatest fear is no longer death but that we will not make enough change. I will not make enough change in my lifetime to fulfill our mission to transform lives and do justice. We have to look those fears in the eye. Fear that we are too small, 
that the problems are too big. Fear that there's nothing we can do. It's too late. We've gone too far. Our society, it's too late. Scientifically unfounded fears that refugee children are sicker than our own children and nonsense like that. We have to acknowledge those fears, then summon that courage, courage that is fear that has said its prayers, and get to work. Get people registered to vote. Vote. Volunteer with justice organizations in this church and outside. Give money to organizations providing aid and working on legal challenges. Pressure your elected officials to change laws. There are easy forms. I've been looking. Email addresses, good old-fashioned phone numbers on the internet. And I urge you to start this week. I promise you I've done it and it feels good. Start this week and every week with about half an hour of pestering people in power about the things that matter to you. Put it out there. Not just Facebook, like... Call them directly. See how it feels. We cannot be too paralyzed by fear to take real action for our fellow man and woman. We also cannot let fear stop us from talking face-to-face about Ferguson, about America, about Austin, about racism and injustice. Greg Howard wrote a powerful piece for the online magazine Deadspin this week. The title was, America is not for black people. I couldn't bring myself to read it for a couple of days. I kept it on my computer, but I couldn't, I couldn't read it yet. The headline alone was so painful. But I knew I know this from my own spiritual practice of facing fears, little and big. I knew that the fear of reading it meant I needed to read it. In the piece, Howard describes, quote, a very real, very American fear of black men. He writes, they, we, are inexplicably seen as a millions-strong army of potential killers. Capable and cold enough that any single one could be a threat to a trained police officer in a bulletproof vest. There are reasons why white gun rights activists can walk into a Chipotle restaurant with assault rifles and be seen as gauche nuisances, while unarmed black men are killed for reaching for their wallets or cell phones or carrying children's toys. If you're not following the news right now, These are not made-up examples. These are all real things that are going on in our communities, in our nation. Mike Brown's death is a part of a very big, heartbreaking picture, but we have to improve it. We, if not us, who? Laws, attitudes, accountability. If we are too scared to talk to each other, how can we change those? There's a fear of failure. A fear that we'll say the wrong thing. A fear that everything will come out wrong and we will make it worse. I have that fear. Thinking about what to say to you today. Whew. I have that fear. But I don't pretend to have the answers and I'm just going to try. And I want you guys to do that too with each other and out in the world. Because I know in my heart the only way we can make racism and abuse of power and gross inequality worse right now is by giving 
up by not caring, by putting a happy face on it, diminishing what others are feeling, looking away. Earlier this year, I attended Baha'i Racial Unity Day at the San Marcos UU Fellowship. There, the lay leader read this very unforgettable quote from Reverend Dr. Rebecca Parker. The inner journey of anti-racism for whites involves learning to withdraw our negative and positive projections from people of color. Whites must become relationally committed to meeting people of color as themselves, not as symbolic extensions of ourselves. As themselves. Friends and church members of color, it is not your job to educate those of us who are white. It is our job to do our work. But I do say to you, as a member of this congregation, I very much want to listen to what you have to say about creating a church and a world that reflects our mission. Those of us who are white, we must rise above the tendency to take things personally. We must be present to hear and feel the individual experiences of people of color. When so many say, as Ali Barthwell wrote in Exo Jane, that they are terrified of police, we mustn't try to debate those feelings. We mustn't equate loss of life and hundreds of years of oppression to property damage. about understanding that current events do happen in a vacuum, recognizing what we Unitarian Universalists call the inherent worth and dignity of all people. So, the tasks ahead for all of us are scary, but my experience with the spiritual practice of facing fear is that we can tackle this. We can. I am full of hope. I sound upset, and I am upset, but I am full of hope about it because I know we can do this. We can overcome our fears, our fear of each other, our fear of talking, our fear of change. We can do this. We don't have to be perfect. Let go of that. It's not going to be perfect. Let go of that. We have to do it. At the vigil for Mike Brown at the Capitol on Thursday, who did I see but adults and children from this church? So I know that we're already getting started. When your own fear about saying the wrong thing is about to halt a conversation that needs to be had, be brave. Remember, there are others in this country, in this city, who fear their children walking down the street, who fear the dangers of a drug war they did not start, who live in unsafe conditions, in part due to unjust laws and a lack of a living wage. And there are even those with an equally tragic but far more modern fear that I, for example, as a white mother with a white son, if I don't teach him well, and maybe even if I do, he could end up a shooter in a school, a movie theater, SWAT gear, in a racially charged, racially charged tragedy like Ferguson. That's big, I know. 
Say it again, though. I have hope. Let us not be downtrodden. Let us not borrow sorrow, as the saying goes, from the people of Ferguson. Instead, let us be the ones who use our privileges, one of which is witnessing Ferguson's plight, this turning point in our nation, from a physical distance, to do the work of racial reconciliation, social justice, and human rights. We must rest and work. Pray and work. Meditate and work. My favorite. Dance for joy and work. Let's shine our lights brightly out there in the world. Let's be the change we want to see for everyone. Go in peace. Go in hope. Go as the brave, brave lights in this world that I know you are. Amen and blessed be. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.